Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to someone who has steered the reins of their industry horse off the lame, tired path of status quo. Our guest today has been solving problems as a fractional chief technology officer for 25 plus years. He must have started when he was 10 because he doesn't look that old. I appreciate that. <laughs> He's a digital transformation leader, specifically the disruptive innovation of facial recognition. He's also a Twitter enthusiast. He uses his Twitter power as a CTO to ensure success at large scale events to gain valuable real time consumer service feedback to new technologies being implemented while it's being experienced by the consumers. He's an eight-time Inc. 5000 winner coming to us live from Chicago, founder of 6B Partners, Matthew Owen. Well, thank you, Carla, or KJ, if you would KJ. prefer that. Okay, KJ, sorry, we'll go with that. Appreciate that. That was a great intro. I don't think I've ever said that myself about, about me. So, Well, I listen. When I, talk. I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I do you. the best I can to listen. <laughs> no, I really listened when I talked to you. And you know, this whole combination, it's not disparate. You're a hybrid of this CTO and, you know, fractional CTO and, you know, transformation leader and, you know, and digitization, facial recognition, but also with social media. So you're like a social technology nerd, which I absolutely love. Yes, I am. I'm all of the above. And, you know, how did I get here? I'm not sure. You know, you just, you get into the industry and you start solving problems for your customers and your clients and you pick up skills along the way. And of course I picked up things that I enjoyed along the way, Twitter being one of them and, you know, just add it to your, your toolkit. And after, you know, 20 something years of working with customers in a variety of ways, again, focused on solving their problems. You know, they come yeah, to you with so a problem. Let me, let me ask you this. You have a disruptive innovation. You've been a hybrid. You work with technology. What is your main ingredient for disruption? Your main ingredient? I would say my main ingredient, the, the theme over my career is that I'm extremely customer focused. And so taking into account the customer experience when approaching, and when I say customer, what I'm really talking about is the customer of my customer, okay? So they'll come to me with a problem that is really a symptom of other issues and they're seeing it internally, right? We have problems with billing or invoice or whatever the case may be that they see internally, but in order to solve it correctly, you have to go way back out to the beginning of the customer journey now, these are things their I've learned. Their customer journey. Their customer's journey, right? Not their own journey. <laughs> right. So it's, it's two levels, right? So you walk in and say, okay, Mr. Customer, I understand the problems that you're telling me. Let me go dig into the root cause of that. You will inevitably find that you're going down a path to 
okay, it's the customer's experience that is causing this issue or other issues that you don't even know about. And we need to take that into account when we solve it. We can't solve this problem in an internal silo that makes accounts payable feel better, right? Accounts payable is not the customer. They're not the ones that to pay the bills, right? And make your business thrive and, and be sustainable. So let's, let's think of things in terms of your customer and how they experience your business and interacting with your business. And it can be B2B or B2C. And that's, again, where, where Twitter has come into play because customers are out there telling the world good, bad, and ugly experiences about the, the vendors they deal with. So that's partially how I got into Twitter as a market feedback tool to listen yeah, hey, what are your customers saying? You're great. You're not so great. You're somewhere in the middle. You know, they're, they're telling us what to attack here, right? That's actually a really key. So your main ingredient has been consumer advocacy on the, your con- customer's consumer. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'll walk into that. Listen to their problem from their perspective, but that's usually not the root cause. That's just a symptom that they see, which has led them to seek me out, of course. But the, the problem is deeper, you know. Much deeper. And, you know, how does this relate with facial recognition? Because that's really controversial right now. So facial not- recognition, I guess, is one of those technologies that has been added to my toolkit over the years. I'll not bore you with the story of how I got into facial recognition. That would be a subject for another one. You know, I've worked in a lot of different technologies. I'm essentially a network architect, systems integrator. So taking off-the-shelf technologies, putting them together into a custom solution, and facial recognition happens to be one of those that along the way I picked up first with marketing analytics, then with uh, facial recognition security purposes to keep people out of major concert tour, and, and then morphing that into the other side of that, which is to allow people in based on recognizing their face, right? So it's using the same algorithm, the same technology, but what we do with that alert, we recognize a person. What do we do? Do we let them in? Or do we kick them out, right? Blacklist versus whitelist, right? That's what we call it. So that technology can be used for good or evil, you know, just like any other technology we've invented as mankind. It's incredibly useful if used correctly. There are things you, you can only do using facial recognition, which is to scan a crowd of 66,000 people and pick out three people that you know shouldn't be there. You have no chance of doing that without the technology called facial recognition, right? So it's controversial because it gets into the hands of people who aren't, aren't using it correctly. But here in the United States, there's a lot of regulatory uh, issues you got to deal with, which are good. They, they slow down adoption a little bit, but they do make sure we think about the technology before we just run out and use it willy-nilly. So facial recognition is, is, is just, to me, it's an arrow in the quiver of being able to solve certain types of problems. At stadiums, and this is you know something I, I think we, we wanted to talk about, the, the ingress into a stadium at a football game or a NASCAR event or a concert, you, know, you name it, anywhere 66,000 people show up, getting through the gates. So your ticketing and security, those are the two steps of getting through the gates. Right. There's a huge bottleneck there. You know, some of that is necessary because you have to scam people, of course, but others, it's just users haven't learned how to use mobile ticketing on their phones. They're still thinking of the paper era. You know, there's no more paper tickets, but but you do using it on your phone, 
has has issues that you know no one really contemplated like what if you show up at the gates and your phone is dying and there's no battery or there's no network connection that happens, right. happens all that the time happens. right there's all sorts of problems with mobile ticketing and you so you've got an army of people trying to get in and you have a smaller army of people trying to help them in <laughs> and you know that that's the status quo across you know the world probably but i you know specifically domestically in america big crowds trying to get into their stadium, the venue trying to do that in a safe and efficient way, right? And then you add COVID to this mix, yes. which hopefully is, is a you know, kind of going away a little bit, not, not COVID itself, but that the need to be touchless was originally what got us into the Cleveland Browns for implementing facial recognition-based express access. There's a lot of syllables. <laughs> so I have to say it slowly, but basically an eye pass where you don't have to touch anything as a fan or even as the worker to allow you in faster, right? So touchless back in 2020, in spring of 2020, when the NFL was saying to itself, how are we going to have a season where we bring fans back in? Okay, that was the question that the NFL was asking itself, and one team in particular, the Cleveland Browns, who had seen us on tour using our technology at their stadium a couple years earlier, called us and said, you know, hey, can that technology that you used to keep people out, can it be adapted to let them in, right? Like, yeah, of course, it's the same tech. You tell us, let them in or no, right? It's pretty simple from my perspective, honestly. So yes, um, it pretty much is. I mean, Very the tech, binary. <laughs> it really is. The tech says yes or no. That's all it does is authenticate you. Yes or no. That's it. And what we do with it after that can be incredibly complicated, but the facial recognition itself is purely for that authentication layer, right? So, you know, they said, okay, we want a touch list. We want this iPass. I call it iPass because here in Chicago, that's what we have for, for our fans, VIP, season ticket holders, whatever. That, that was the pilot program. So, you know, we had a couple of months. We adapted the technology. We really changed the hardware that we hosted it on, which for a tech guy like me, that's a major change going from these big POE cameras to using just an off-the-shelf iPad to do our scanning. You know, that it's kind of a big deal that we're using. You, you can just go buy it at any store, download our software, and your venue is facial recognition capable. Now, there's a few steps in between there. You'd, you'd have to call me to configure some things, but, you know, it's not that hard. I mean, anybody could do this. So, so anyway, that was, that was the impetus, I guess, for getting facial recognition into the Cleveland Browns specifically. The impetus was the touchless aspect. Correct. Got it. Well, let's talk about this with events because events are coming back and it sounds like the Cleveland Browns were working on this before they actually, I mean, of course, before they implemented it, but they saw the shutdown, right? They saw the shutdowns of the events. Like how can we use this to let people in? Right. Correct. What is the status quo with events now? And what is the status quo with what consumers expect since COVID? Well, the status quo of, of events now, I mean, we're kind of back to normal somewhat, and it depends on what state you're in, right? I go to Ohio and no one's wearing masks and touchless doesn't matter anymore, honestly. Indiana, kind of the same way as I drive through, there's no mask. Here in Illinois, there's still a mask mandate, although that's going away February 28th. So, you know, there's a lot of changes going on. So I guess one thing that consumers expect is, is change. Like they, the, the status quo of going to an event is that you don't know what the rules are. 
bring your mask. Don't bring your bag. You can't have a bag that's this size. You, you know, it, it's got to be clear. It, you can bring in a bass drum if you're at a soccer stadium because the fans love to, but don't call it a purse because you can't bring that in. You know, there's all these really conflicting, overlapping, different layers of rules. And I see it when the fans, fans are confused. That's the status quo. Okay. That has nothing to do with facial recognition. That is just overlapping regulatory bodies telling them what they can and cannot do. And the people working there, the rules change so fast that they don't know what to tell the fans. That, that is you know, the status quo. It really and is. You, it's confusion. And you don't know from one venue to the next. Like if I go to, you know, we have soccer here in St. Petersburg, Florida, right? So if I go to a soccer game, it's very different when I go to a Bucks game. Correct. <laughs> right? Very different. The NFL rules are completely different. Correct. Yeah. But the but the status quo is people are confused. Not only the army that's getting in, but the small army, it's not even an army. It's probably just a platoon that's like letting people in. Right. Correct. They're they're confused about the how does the ticketing work? There's an unbelievable number of types of tickets. You know, they might all be sold by Ticketmaster, but they can be resold on the secondary market. So that introduces this really fluid environment for the status of where a ticket is that causes problems when you go to redeem that ticket. If you put it out on the secondary market, but it never sold, can it be scanned at the gate? And again, this has nothing to do with facial recognition. <laughs> this is just your traditional scanner. So then they have issues. Then you got to have a, another army behind you for doing reconciliation, right? So what we've done is simplify that to a certain degree. We understand that Ticketmaster um, errors that come back, I suppose, and we show them in a bigger screen so we can get better feedback and we can serve the customer a little bit better. You know, we still deal with some of the same issues, but we're, you know, one of our major advantages is that if you go up with a mobile ticket, you have one ticket, one scan, one person, right? Yeah. And then the person behind you, another ticket, another scan, another person, they go through the turnstile. It's reasonably slow. If you come up to our gates, you can have 10 people on your account, 10 tickets on your, your account, scan one face, and then 10 people walk right in. Really? Or 18. 18 is my, my uh, record, 18 tickets. 18 yeah. tickets. Now, one scan. One second, 18 people, boom, and you can't match that pace anywhere wow. else. And that, wow, that's very innovative. So that, that requires user education, though, right? The user yeah. has to know that they can do that. They think it's one-to-one. -one. They think everybody has to be enrolled and it's not true, right? So a lot of what I do is user education. We get adoption. How do you do user education? Pretty much just yelling at them, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm only only half joking. I mean, The really, low-tech version, right? It's, it's extremely low-tech. Now look, we do send out emails to, you know, the season ticket holders and, you know, we're bombarding them with information. But the problem is they're already desensitized because they get marketing emails from that. You know what I mean? They're, they're only half paying attention at best via email, push notifications, whatever. Not that we're going to stop doing that, but the most effective way to communicate and educate them is face-to-face. -face. So what I do is at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday, gates open at 11. I'm out there at the gates. We're all set up, ready to go. Got a half an hour of sort of downtime. It's kind of quiet. And I go and interact with the fans, especially the ones. So we got sort of our gates lined up here and the, the people start, you know, they hang out half an hour before so they can get through and all that. So I start interacting with them, going person to person. Hi, sir, ma'am, have you used this before? If they have, I don't ask them that. 
because I recognize them because I'm there every week and I see them come through. I know their names, right? I have a fan club, but you know, I don't recognize all of them. So I'll ask a question. I've used this before. Oh no, this is our first time. We have a couple questions for you. Oh, sure. I'll answer them. Everybody around them. Here's the same answers, right? So that's good. And then what I'll do is I'll bring them up. Oh, you've never used it before. Come on up. Let's test it out. It's 1030. We got some time. Come on over here. Go to the scanner. Oh, I recognize you. Boom. You got two tickets, sir. Yep. Oh, great. They're always like, oh, that was amazing. It was awesome. The reactions we get are off the charts, off the charts. Like the testimonials are, they love this, right? What are they saying? What are they saying? That, that they this is the best thing ever. I mean, this is literally, this is the best thing the Browns have ever done in their 75 year history. Those are wow. quotes that we get, you know, this is the most amazing technology I've ever seen in my life. I mean, high fives, they drop F-bombs in a good way. <laughs> um, you know, every possible positive, you know, feedback you could get. It's it's so fun to watch. This is primarily, I mean, it's I got to make a living, so this is why I do it. But the satisfaction of watching the reaction of the people is amazing. It, it, no one else has as much fun at work as I do. Yeah, you you're can, you, a technology you guy that. that's really in the trenches with the customer. Absolutely. So this that's the only way from my perspective. Yeah, well, yeah. And that's how you use your Twitter feed, right? Because you use that to get real time feedback on what's going on with the technology at the events. A, a little bit of both getting feedback and putting out the testimonials, right? So now I'm using Twitter and I have, uh, you know, I got into Instagram a little bit in my uh, my older years here. Um, <laughs> but I like to use both of the platforms to show, again, how what's the best way to educate people? Show them how people are going through. Show them the reactions, right? I don't have to tell you about the testimonial. This person, Chester, in front of me just told you right? And I posted it on social media for all to see, right? It's much more important and much more powerful. This used to be called word of mouth, right? Now we call it user-generated content, and whatever. If the fan is telling another fan, that's much more powerful than me telling a fan about the technology, right? So all I'm doing is encouraging fans to give me user-generated content. I don't call it that because they would have no idea what I'm talking about. But I'm encouraging them to use it. And I, you know, I'm like, Hey, cool. Being on social. They're like, yeah, it's amazing. Let's, let's go. Right. They're, they've been drinking, so they don't really care uh, at all. <laughs> so I have a lot of fun with the educating people, creating FOMO. Right. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of fun to come through my gate. I make sure that people have fun. You know, do you have like any statistics of the shortening of time that it takes to get people in a Cleveland Browns? game compared to what it was like before or any other metrics that you use like that yeah so i mean they the browns themselves have a lot of metrics right they've of got course. a team team of people with their analytics and you know they go nuts and all that but what i the one metric the only thing that matters to me is the end result right i don't really care to parse all the data what i care about is the browns measure did we get everybody in to this stadium by one o'clock which is kickoff right so they measure in increments of going backwards. Oh, the gates were clear at 1245. To them, that is a world record. And we did that this year. We got to 1245. And, the, you know, they look around and, and essentially my client, the person we report to, you know, it says, holy cow, we've never cleared the gates at 1245. It's never happened before in the history of the Browns. Yeah. 
That's the only metric I care about. That's it. <laughs> awesome. You, you know what I mean? World now, record. You need to get in the Guinness Booker World Record. Well, at least the Cleveland Browns Guinness Booker yes, World Record. Yes, they can record, do right? that. I, sure. I don't know about other stadiums. That'd but, be a great um, PR stunt. They would, I mean, hey, I'm all about PR stunts. <laughs> they need help. Let, let me know. <laughs> I will absolutely. I'd love to get this story out far and wide because it's a really, the thing we're doing is really cool to see the fans' faces and you know, we're, look, there's a, we do have a competitor, but we're kind of playing in different spaces. So we're kind of the only game in town and we're creating partnerships. Everything I've been talking about is ticketing. Okay. Yeah. It's only, it's only one part. The other part is security. Right. So and you've I have done nothing- this before on a large scale, which I know you can't totally talk about, but that was mostly for security, right? It was security. Yes. It was the, it was the opposite. We call it the blacklist. If you were on the blacklist, you couldn't get in the stadium now. And, and there was a significant amount of people that would be on the blacklist that you would need to be hired for that. Thousands, thousands. thousands. Yeah. You, you can't in a dark stadium of 66,000 people, you obviously can't spot while there's 3000 or so people on a list. You know, there's only two or three or five maybe that showed up that day, but you don't know who. We don't know which ones they are, right? So there's only one way, and facial recognition is the only way to essentially it's like a I call it a net, right? I mean, we're scanning everything and we're looking for patterns, you call them faces, <laughs> in a crowd, right? So and then we pick out two of them that matches these people. You know, here's the part where people get a little uh I guess, creeped out by facial recognition. Like, just because we recognized you, that doesn't mean we're sending you off to prison, right? <laughs> all, all it is is, you know, I get an alert that John Doe is here, and then I pass it off to the appropriate, my liaison, who's on the security team, and then they have a human look at this, then they have a human go look at the actual person where they are, and then they make a judgment, is that really the person? So there's like three, four layers, including humans, before this person is then, you know, escorted out of the building. But yeah, you know what I mean? It's we're very responsible about this. This is not, oh, automatic, yep, this person out, you know, without asking questions or anything. So you have a whole protocol to really ensure the safety of the rest of the crowd, right? Absolutely. And what is so you're not really getting customer, yeah, like consumer feedback on that, right? Well, in that case, they didn't know we were doing it. Right. So, right. So how do you tell the success of something like that? Well, in that case, our customer who sees people every single night not getting in because of our technology. I mean, it's extremely obvious when we get, we call it a hit, you know? Oh, we got a hit at Southwest Gate 23. Somebody's got to get there within a minute, right? To apprehend or whatever, deal with the situation. And that gets shot out to a whole team of people, a security team, instantly because we had a mobile feel app. Safe. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like no testimonial required. They see it in action, right? right. And they're like, "Yeah, this stuff works." Peace I mean, of mind and security for their correct. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, who are these? Look, okay, let me back up. <laughs> The spin on the controversy of facial recognition really doesn't seem to exist with the consumers. And for the most part, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. not, not your average person coming to an event. I've spoken to thousands of them and they could care less. They do. Or like if they even, even, I mean, not that they could care less. They're like, this is cool. Yeah. It's awesome. Who One, you're keeping us safe. 15 minutes before kickoff. I mean, yeah. I yeah. mean, look, these people are, you know, they're, they don't have, they don't have a reason to hide, you know, they're like, Hey, here's my face, whatever. Let me in, you know? Right. 
So they're enthusiastic about the technology. Right. They're, you know, the, the, the only people, you know, that are, um, you know, look, there's privacy uh, advocates out there. And I, don't, I got nothing against them, but they, they stir up more than what's there to maybe sell a story, I guess. Um, those stories can sell. And it's fine. It's fine. But here in the United States, we have a very strong regulatory environment. There's a lot of hurdles to get through to do what, you know, China has done. Right. And I, I just don't see us getting to that point. I mean, never say never, of course. I mean, but we are very far away from what they have done. And, yeah. and that comes down to, you know, we have these privacy groups that are always advocating for the consumer. And that's fine. You know, we've got all sorts of laws about what you can and cannot do with facial recognition. And we, as a technologist, we have to navigate all of that to make sure it still works for the customer with all these essentially shackles put on us. Right. That's a challenge. Yeah. I can't that just makes go sense. scan everybody. Tell me about these early adopters when they're looking at facial recognition. What what is different about them when they're looking at it to really enhance their events? Because we're talking about events here. Yeah, it's been a very, um, everything I've done with facial recognition, very event focused. And I would say there's, there's you know, data. So Barrett Jackson has been a client of mine in the past. And, you know, they were using facial recognition to gather marketing analytics, very innocuous. I mean, very benign. Just, you know, how many people are looking at our ads so that we can tell our sponsors that 10,000 people saw their ad? I mean, that's all. And, you know, some demographics around that male, female, are they smiling? Whatever. Yeah. So, again, they're just trying to monetize and or justify, I suppose, the money they're already getting from sponsors. And, you know, they're trying to upsell them some cool stuff they can do. Right. So, you know, I hate to say money, but, you know, they want more money. They want to squeeze more money out of their screens and what they've got going on. And, you know, we've used it, facial recognition to help with that, to give to give them data. At the end of the day, it, this is all about gathering data. What you do with the data is sort of up to you, Mr. and Mrs. Customer. But we're just here gathering data. I got a camera and it's scanning everything and it's just gathering data and storing it and storing it and storing it. That's all facial recognition is. And then we process it, obviously, to run it against pattern recognition. But but these guys are, you know, we're talking about events of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Right. So they are looking at what? Like, how are they different than those that are still reticent to use facial recognition? You're talking about the the early adopters. Yeah. You know, I think they just, they must have a person who sponsors our project, to be perfectly honest, who is an adopter themselves, right? Mm-hmm. There's got to be a personality somewhere in that organization that says, hey, let's think outside the box here and let's try something new. And by the way, this guy, Matt's been talking about this cool stuff for a while. We should, we should hear him out, you know? Yeah. I'm a big mouth, so I just go around talking to everybody, and eventually they're like, we're sick of hearing them talk, just do it, all right? Sooner, again, word of mouth, right? It gets around it, but it works, right? So so there has to be an innovator inside the organization, or at least someone who's willing to take even a small amount of risk to bring in a vendor who does something a little innovative and outside the box, right? And, you know, they don't really know that they're bringing in a disruptor, honestly. And I don't necessarily tell them either because 
you know, there's no reason to scare them, right? <laughs> yes, it's true. It's, yeah, it's true. You're an innovator, but it is very disruptive. It, it is changing things. It's um, going to change them. Yes. Now, so they have this. So the early adopters, there's this underlying environment that needs a catalyst. Okay. And, and that catalyst is going to then start a digital transformation process that they, again, may or may not have realized they were going to kick off. They thought they're just hiring somebody to do X and that is give me marketing analytics. Right. But by doing that, I have to reach in in order to make it work. I've got to work with your networking people and your event people. And, you know, your network isn't fast enough. So we're going to have to lay fiber. There's all sorts of stuff that goes into then making my technology work. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm working amongst the silos and then I have to facilitate the silos. So then I'm in a place where I'm the only one talking to the different silos because by definition, silos don't talk to each other. Right. Right. So then I'm, I mean, I'm dealing with the janitor all the way up to the CEO, depending on the situation. Right. And I'm like, Hey, this janitor has got some insight about what goes on when it's halftime and your bathrooms are crushed, you know, the CEO might actually want to know this information. They're so, and it has nothing to do with me except for the fact I'm the only one talking to everybody. And they call that disruption. Like, holy cow, you talked to who? Like, yeah, that guy over there was helping me get into that room over there, you know, that I needed to do some stuff at, right? This is all just based on necessity. But then you get, if you work across silos and facilitate communication across silos, you are a disruptor. That's interesting. And that's actually very true. Very true. Well, I live it. I live it. And you know what? It also puts me on borrowed time. I can be a disruptor, but I have a finite amount of time at that place until until I've worn out my welcome and I move on. (laughs) I mean, it's just true. I leave behind a system that works and a culture that has changed. And then my job is done. Yeah. Well, that is a very finite job. And then you go on your way. Yeah. Then somebody else calls me with a problem. Yeah. And well, you are the problem fixer. You are the turnaround. You are the turnaround guy. So what do you think going forward? How do you think facial recognition is going to change the face of events in the next five years? Well, I mean, if the trend continues, let's just set aside regulatory issues, right? I don't control what our government might say about what we can do with the technology, but I'll just assume they're going to continue to let us play with it. This will be ubiquitous technology in all major venues. I mean, it's going to be us or our competition. This is inevitable. It will happen. It's for the good of the customer. And, you know, will it take five years? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. So I I think in terms of the sales cycle of a venue is if you're in season for a football team, you're not going to sell them anything new in season, right? So you've got a, a one season sales cycle, even if they're like, we love it. We want it right now. They're like, no. You're in game eight, it ain't going to happen, you know? Yeah, within five years, I, I mean, I think in terms of the NFL and MLS, because that's where we spend a lot of time, this could easily be deployed at every location. And as soon as they see it, the light bulb goes off and they're like, yep, we need to have that. And then we go deal with the technical hurdles, the political hurdles. And when I say political, I mean internal to the organization. Again, I mean, I walk, I've been, I've done so many of these that I, I can be walking in blindfold and know where all my challenges are going just fill yeah, so in the it names seems like big tours sports events you know that's really where it's it seemed to be the like where it's starting right venues big venues yeah big venues i, I call them venues right concerts I mean, concert yeah. i don't care if it's coachella in the desert 
you know, or the first energy stadium in Cleveland. It doesn't matter to me. What's different, you know, the physical layout, of course, where do I place the gear? But other than that, I mean, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. Do you, yeah, you look at it very simply as a technologist. Do you think part of the challenge is some of the myths surrounding facial recognition or the challenges of the education of it? You know, the myth around, you know, privacy and security, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's myth is a good word because in my experience, it's a flat out myth. No one that I've ever dealt with at, at a venue, I'm talking about the actual customer, the consumer has ever cared at all. In fact, they think it's cool. So I don't think that's a bottleneck. I think that, you know, when we go into a new venue, you know, they, okay, they might have a couple of questions about it, but for the most part, if we, if we've made it there for a meeting, they're already sold on the concept. Right. And I think they have, they have pressures behind the scenes to become more secure, to get the fans in faster that are turning the heat up on them. And they're like, Oh, facial recognition. Nah, all right, fine. Go for it. You know, you guys use it responsibly, right? Okay, sure. Go. You know, and, you know, there's a lot more detail to that, of course, but no, I don't think those are the, uh, the bottleneck is, is purely just educating them that this system even exists. I mean, I spent two years in the NFL now, every single Cleveland Browns game I've been to for the last two years, we've had a bunch of teams, whoever they're playing the away team, they have an entourage of management that's always there at the game. So they come see our tech, right? And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then they leave and then they go back to their, you know, daily lives. So inertia is the main challenge at any organization. It doesn't matter if you're sports or otherwise. All the silos have their set budget. It's been the same budget since the 1950s. They just keep tweaking it incrementally, right, for inflation. And no one wants to give up a dime. It's all internal politics, right? So our challenge is, all right, who's paying for this? Is it IT? This isn't an IT system, guys. This is a customer experience system. So is it your experience team that's going to pay for it? Is it coming out of their budget? Is it going to be a little bit of marketing? You know, again, it's cross-functional. This is a ops, security, marketing experience team, ticketing, and IT, what I named six, six silos that I have to deal with when I walk in. Which one of you is going to pay for it? That is you know, a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a major challenge. That, that's what slows down everything, you know? So now, again, we're, we're getting more traction. We're getting more people to know about it and use it and, and all that. So we're going to, you know, it's like, it's like any other technology. Once you get the ball rolling, we'll start to get more adoption, right? And to me, the key is, you know, I, I keep going back to user-generated content, Twitter and Instagram, which I'm, again, enjoying recently, because their story feature on Instagram is so easy to capture content. Twitter used to have fleets and they got rid of it, whatever. But anyway, getting the users, getting the people, to say, this is cool, that is what's going to make this thing take off. As soon as a fan or several fans, we have visiting fans. So if you come to Cleveland and you're the Denver Broncos, or you're a fan of the Denver Broncos, if you have a ticket, you're going to get an email that week saying, hey, welcome to First Energy Stadium. Here's a bunch of stuff you should know before you get here. And by the way, enroll in Express Entry, you know. So we have a lot of visiting fans because they're more likely to read that email because they're not desensitized, Right. So a lot of visiting fans. And then my hope is those visiting fans go back to Denver and say, man, I went to this game in Cleveland. It's amazing. We got to have this. Right. And they start calling their ticket rep. So that's what I'm doing in line is like, hey, call your ticket rep back in Denver and tell them my name is Matt and you need to call me. Right. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> call like, the guy, I'm, Matt. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm selling a little bit too, you know? So, I mean, I'm joking mostly, but, you know, that is more powerful than me calling the Broncos saying, hi, I'm Mac, you need to have this thing, you know? It is all about the consumer experience. When it comes down to it, any technology that's developed, whether it's for B2B or whatever, it ultimately affects the end consumer. Yours affects it directly. Very directly. And that's why I, I'm out there. I, I'm sort of part of the solution at this point. You know, when you introduce a new technology to the to the marketplace, not that facial recognition is new, but our system certainly is, right? It's very unique and proprietary. Well, I'm part of the system. Like we say product market fit. I take the product, walk into the market and make it fit, like literally, okay? Which embeds me as part of the product, which is fine when we're trying to get traction, right? Because I can make up for if we have gaps in our technology where we've got little issues here and there, I know them inside and out so I can predict them and I can massage over them and I can make the customer say, oh, we had an error, but we're working on that, sir. We'll get that worked out by next week. Oh, that's amazing, Matt. No problem. That was cool anyway. Bye. You know, like that's a much better experience for them than we got an error, but there's no one here to explain why. And they just, you know what I mean? So I've become kind of part of the product. It's a little under the radar. and You, you only will notice it if I'm no longer physically present. High tech, high touch. High touch, extremely high touch. I mean, I am, it doesn't get any higher touch. I'm literally with the fans and then I get an issue and I'm in Slack telling our team, hey, we got this issue, never seen it before. Just noting it right now, timestamp is this, send it on its way and then continue, right? So real-time feedback. Well, you know, I'm not surprised that the Cleveland Browns hired you. They've always been very fanatical about their fans. Yes. They it's, always it's, have been. The fan base is fanatical. They're fanatical. It's fun. I mean, it's it's an enjoyable experience. I'm like. I go there and I'm like, this is, I can't believe you pay me to do this. This is amazing, you know? <laughs> Have um, you always been this sort of like, you know, how did you come you know, across this? What were you like as little Matt, you know, growing up? Were you always into like new tech? Were you always into like improving the experience, turning around things, fixing things? Maybe fixing things, but I mean, keep in mind that I grew up in a time when, you know, there wasn't a lot of new tech going. I mean, if you're talking about my childhood, I'm the last era that came through without electronics growing up, you know? I mean, I went to Notre Dame in 1991 as a freshman, and that's when I got my first email address, right? And that was sort of my introduction to, like, the electronic age. But it's, it still took a decade to get to even installing internet, right? So, you know, I've always been very personable. You know, I was on, I was on sports teams, but I would be in the, uh, you know, the, the Choir too. I, I grew up in a small town, so everybody did everything, right? And we knew each other, and it was, uh, it was a very supportive environment. So, you know, my my parents, of course, have, have a lot to do with just putting me in a good place to be able to learn and be enthusiastic about things. And a great group of friends. So I had a really great upbringing. You know, that's a, a big part of it. And I will say, my father taught me a little bit of entrepreneurialism, maybe accidentally, when I was in eighth grade, I would work with him in the summer times doing work around the house. We roofed our house when I was in eighth grade, took the roof off, put the roof back on, which by the way, is very hard work. And I don't recommend for anybody to do this, but I remember being up on the roof and, you know, my father said, you know, Matthew, um, you know, I was 20 years old and we had to work in the summers. First time we sold the roof, we didn't know how to roof. We were doing painting before that, but then, but then our customer said, hey, Dale, can you guys uh, roof our place too? And they're like, yeah, you got money? Okay, great. We'll do it, right? We're 20 years old. We're hungry. We need to eat. 
And so they would sit up on the roof and read the book, How to Roof a House. <laughs> and so he told me this. He's like, you know what? If I don't know. I'm like 12 years old. Like, if they're offering money, you figure out how to do it. I guess that lesson just kind of stuck with me. I was like, okay, yeah, dad, sure. You know, I didn't do anything about it as a 12 year old, but when I got out into the workforce and, you know, I have certain God given abilities, uh, personality, intelligence, you know, certain things that you just, they're given to me. Right. I, I don't, can't take any credit for it, but I was taught initiative by my parents, perseverance, hard work, never say die. Like you, the job is not done till it's done. My father really drilled into me the do it right or don't do it at all. I mean, just absolutely set up your workspace. This, this was drilled into me, right? So all of that played a part, I suppose, in, in who I became later, but in more of a, you know, a technology setting, not necessarily, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not out there roofing houses anymore, but, um, awesome. but, I, but I learned the value of hard work, you know, yeah. sure. shout out to pops. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a big part of it, honestly. And, and, you know, I didn't know it at the time, right. We're, we're all like, Oh sure. Dad, whatever. But eventually, well, it stuck look, with you. Look at it, you it, now. It, it, it but, did. Absolutely. But you listened and he listened and it's true. A lot of entrepreneurs will listen to their customer and say, yeah, we can do that. And then we're like, we have no idea how to do that. We're going to figure yeah, it out. Right. I mean, I, you know, I come from an upbringing that was, I'll say poor to middle class at best, you know? And, and so every dollar like had to be earned. And my father was a teacher, you know, he was making $12,000 his first year. I mean, so, you know, that's what I grew up with. I, I didn't know any better. I mean, I was happy. I didn't know that the, there was wealth in this world or anything like that, you know? So like hard work and, and perseverance, that was just drilled into me. discipline and initiative. And this is just how it is. And we do this to get done and move on to see the next day or whatever. That was absolutely drilled into me, but I didn't really know it, you know, and then I, I love out. that. I love um, that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that that's, that's a big part of it. It's, you know, yeah, I have skills like, you know, problem solving skills and all that, but it's what separates me from everybody else is my perseverance. You, you will not win a war of attrition with me, you know, and that's, again, as a disruptor, you better walk in thinking you're into the battlefield. That's right? true. Um, Disruptors I mean, I, do have to persevere. They really do. I mean, most people. you have challenges, you have to, like you, you second. have to go through so many silos. So many There's silos. educational issues, attribution issues, but I mean, you, you name it. All of the issues, right? And so if you don't have perseverance, well, guess what? You ain't going to be a disruptor. I mean, you should you should just go work for somebody else. That's fine. But I walk into it, say, oh, yeah, I, I was trained by the best, you know, so I wish Do you, you have luck. any crazy passions that you persevere at and that like outside of work that you just you have gotten really good at you extracurricular know, activities. That's a good question. I mean, uh, you know, outside of work. I try to tone it down. I'm, as you might be able to tell, a little bit intense at work, especially. So yeah. when I'm, what, <laughs> I can be, you know, I can be like scary intense. I can flip a switch and scare people. And I use that as a tactic to get them to do what I need them to do as I'm disrupting them. Okay. Now I only do but it. But off scary. of work, what are you like? I'm much more relaxed. I have to be. I have to counterbalance. So right? no crazy passions. What are you like a Netflix couch potato? No, no, I don't mean that necessarily. I mean, look, I've driven across the country, put 50,000 miles on my RV going coast to coast camping and seeing NASCAR races and football games. No one would ever accuse me of being a couch potato. I have lived, I'm 48 years old. I have lived 
150 years in that 48 years, no question. I've been to over 500 concerts just for fun. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. But someone so, that's been to over 500 concerts, of course, you know, a big scale events. Oh, I know them inside and out. I know yeah. them from the inside, the outside, the middle, the bathrooms. <laughs> the, I mean, I mean, literally, I'm not exaggerating. I've been to more football games than people who have worked at the Browns for 20 years as a fan, NASCAR races, concerts, you name it. Right. So, you know, Matthew Owen, you are the guy facial uh, recognition for large events. You are the guy live, breathe it. Consumer experience is, and now I completely understand you and really creating the technology for the consumer experience. It is such a well-rounded approach. It's very refreshing. I've never, I don't see that with technologists always. I see a lot of consumer advocates and user experience advocates that, you know, really care about the user experience, but this high touch aspect seems to come from your love of events and concerts. I would agree with you. It does. It comes from my love of it, my my own needs that I've had over the years, right? Or the own the, the problems that I've spotted. And, you know, like when you go to an event, what's the first thing you want to do when you get through that gate? probably need to get to the bathroom because you've been, you know, tailgating, right? So I've been that person who's like, can we get in here faster? This is important, you know? And so I empathize with the people I see. I see you and I'm like, oh, I know what your need is. (laughs) So let's get you in faster, sir or ma'am, you know, usually sir on that particular one. But uh, Well, how do people get a hold of you? How do they find you? I mean, you know, my handle on social media is M Owen Ranger. So twitter.com slash M Owen Ranger. Every social media outlet, I'm on all of them and that's my handle. However, Twitter and LinkedIn, I'd say Twitter, LinkedIn is fine. You can find me on LinkedIn. Please feel free to, to connect with me, but it's such mayhem. I feel that Twitter is a better place to handle people at scale, honestly. And so if you connect with me on Twitter, Follow me and do me a favor and uh, like or retweet my pinned tweet. So for some re- that's sort of my bat signal, okay? If you go to, if Carla, I checked out your account. If you go to my account, you got to follow me back, by the way. I will. Uh, okay, thank you. I'm going to go uh, do it right now. I'm going to like and tweet. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's the best way like to get my attention. Like, go. Oh, all right, so-and-so got my attention. Okay, cool. So the reason, I mean, you can follow me, but again, my account is such mayhem. I got 36,000 followers just like you, but I don't know how much you groom yours. My, I've got people following me who I don't even know they're following me. I used to be able to keep track. Now it's just crazy. So that's why I need people to like, if you want to follow back, just hit my pin tweet with a like or a retweet. I'll, I'll see it and I'll follow you back. You know, you can email me, Matt at 6bpartners.com. You can call my cell phone, 773-858-2854. Do me a favor and text me first just so I know where that's coming from. But any of the above work, I think I got a notification that. So I just. Followed back by KJ. I just uh, liked your pen tweet. Transformation is all or nothing. That is correct. That was, uh, it was an Adobe quote. I was at an Adobe summit a few years ago, which is a story in and of itself. I could talk for one hour on just Adobe Summit and my Twitter antics there, which are legendary <laughs> amongst Adobe, which is a lot of fun. I, I have a lot of other stories, specifically around Twitter 
Adobe Summit's one of them. And then I know we got to get going. I know we got two minutes, but live tweeting NASCAR races might be my most fun activity on earth. Now, I haven't done it in a while, but I have a couple experiences. I have three wins doing it, sitting in the crew, uh, in the, uh, what do they call it? The, with the crew chief, right? Yeah. In the tool, the toolbox there, I forget what they call it. I haven't been doing NASCAR in a while. But anyway, basically being a part of embedded in the crew, live tweeting the race, right? And I'm kind of, I mean, I was a NASCAR newbie. So outside looking in and sort of a different angle. And then I would, what I would do is take over that team's account for the race. And the person normally running the account is, is probably a very straightforward marketing person who just puts out regular tweets, right? And all of a sudden I take over the thing, but we don't tell anybody. And it's this crazy, crazy account during the race. And people are like, what the hell is going on with this? You know, they've never seen this before. This is so much fun. Again, I make it fun. But anyway, I did this Twitter takeover for, I did it five times and I've got three wins and a couple second place finishes. So the first time I ever did it, the kid won the race, his first win on the circuit. So it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, like there is no better thrill than being at the start finish line, live tweeting a race. I mean, it's a thrill. So I guess I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. That's kind of another common theme. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love how you funnel it out on, on Twitter. Hey, Matthew, thank you so much. You're People welcome. know how to get a, get a hold of you. And again, I'm actually really thrilled that you have this background of concert going for hundreds and hundreds of venues that actually fuel your technology today. Yes. It's definitely a big reason why I do what I do. This is why I love to get to know disruptors because we find out things about them and why they're so good at what they do. So anyway, thank you for being such a badass. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, KJ. This was a pleasure. And if you you ever need me uh, to come back here and talk about really any topic, you know, anytime. Okay. I'd be happy to. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed or you are actually on Twitter, go tell someone about this podcast and hit up Matt. Tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit for the show. And thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.